The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. There is a judgment greater than anything you've ever known. It won't be long. Your life will pass by as a vapor and you will stand before the judgment seat of God. And every secret deed and thought, every wrinkle, every spot will be in view. Before the one who knows all things, the Lord of Lord and King of Kings, you know the one you never knew. While you have breath, you have a choice to make in life. Turn away from your sin and believe on the risen Christ. You can find peace in Him from the judgment that's to come. He is the shelter from the coming storm. All creation shakes at the mention of His name. He has power over life and death. Every knee will bow and tongue confess. Heaven and earth will proclaim that Jesus Christ is Lord. To the glory of the Father will you bow, will you surrender to His majesty. He can save you from the might of all your sin. The fight in which he stands In perfect victory While you have breath You have a choice to make in life Turn away from your sin And believe on the risen Christ You can find peace in Him From the judgment that's to come He is a shelter from the coming storm While you have breath You have a choice to make in life Turn away from 
from all your sin and believe on the risen Christ. You can find peace in Him from the judgment that's to come. He is a shelter from the coming storm. He's the only shelter from the coming storm. Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress. We are right at the end of all things. Every sign is there. We see catastrophic weather events, earthquakes, floods, fires. We see social unrest, bitterness, and anger. We see every possible crime being committed, murders, rapes. We see war, rumors of war, real war. Every sign given to us in Matthew 24, Luke 21, we see every sign right now that says Jesus is at the door. We're in a very difficult place, we American Christians and many who have bought into the American church's message. We're in a very difficult place because we believe we're fine and we're on our way to heaven. When in fact, we have not paid the price to be holy before a mighty God. We have been consumed with Americanism. We've been consumed with the social media, the entertainment. We're in trouble. There's a an internationally known pastor that I have met with and had lunch with on several occasions. I love this man dearly. He has been an honest man of God through the years. I have been in his church many times. He asked the question in a message he preached just recently, He asked the question, are we living at the end of days? Is Jesus coming? His answer to that question was a resounding, yes, we are living at the end of of time. And so I listened carefully as he walked through the 24th chapter of, of Matthew as he brought in interesting aspects of 
revelation. The problem was that nowhere in this discussion did he talk about repentance or holiness or crucifixion or resurrection. Instead, he assumed that his congregation was all saved. And so he gave this emotional, passionate sermon about the wonderful last sign that he's looking for, and that is a great revival among God's people. It was a sermon of of pure sugar. There was no meat in it. There were no, there was nothing to chew in it. There were no convicting arrows of the Holy Spirit that struck my heart or anyone else's heart as they listened. Instead, people got very excited, shouted, praise God. Yes, a great revival's coming. Well, what kind of revival are we talking about? What are we to expect? See, we have been raised on on sugar in the American church. We have made the assumption that everyone is saved. One well-known pastor said to me, Ray, Brother Ray, I would love to have you preach at my church, but I can't invite you to preach at my church because I know that if you come, you're going to talk about sin and repentance, but everyone in my congregation is already saved. So they don't need to hear about repentance and they don't need to hear about getting right with God. They're already all right with God. I knew what he was saying was wrong because I'd spent quite a bit of time out in the congregation just that week talking with people and asking them about how they stood with Jesus. And I found many people who, when I asked them, how are you with Jesus, they answered me by saying, there are problems between me and Jesus. I'm not clean yet. I'm not holy yet. And they began to confess very specific sins that were blocking their way, sins of the flesh, sins of the spirit. I prayed with many of them. But the pastor of the church believed that everyone was saved and on their way to heaven. Here's the problem that I struggle with constantly, not only in coming to do this radio broadcast, but in my own life, in my own heart. 
I struggle with Americanism. I struggle with this whole issue of how do I live out the gospel of Jesus Christ in a very wicked, wicked age where everything seems to be so homogenized and so blended together. I've watched as as men and women of God have been sincere and earnest in seeking after Jesus, and they have had some kind of experience with him. But then I've watched as they have become involved in their work, as they have given themselves to their wants. One woman who, a married woman that I asked the question yesterday, what is it that you want? And her answer was instantaneous. I want peace. I want peace. I want quiet. And I said to her, well, how do you get that? What do you want to achieve that peace and that quietness? And without blinking an eye, she said, my husband and I want a house out in the country. We want a place where we can be comfortable. We want a a place that's safe for our family. Oh, is that, is that where peace comes? Does peace come from a house in the country with a happy fence around it? Is that where peace comes? Is that where quiet comes? The answer is absolutely no. That's not the source of peace, and that's not the source of, of quiet. No, because I know what they'll be doing in the afternoon or all day Saturday. They'll be mowing the grass and they'll be taking care of the flowers and they'll be doing home improvements and their weekends will be consumed taking care of their beautiful place out in the country and they'll be working in their garden and they'll be running errands and then they'll go back to work to earn the money to pay the the mortgage payment on the house. And then after they have been consumed for, what, 20, 25 years, 30 years with that house, then what? What do they want then? We each have been given a certain amount of time and energy, and and we're on probation, and we get to use that time and energy as we feel is best. Now, where I struggle in knowing how to even talk about this issue is that most of us have been so blended with our culture, with our society, that we don't know how to be holy before God. We don't know how to walk before him in righteousness and holiness. Instead, we've got all of these things that seem to be satisfying to our hearts, our entertainment, our hobbies. And Jesus is just one more add-on to an already full life. And I utterly 
renounce this kind of Christian life. I refuse it. I will not be a part of it. And I know that puts me at odds with my culture and with many friends. I am solely given to searching out this man, Jesus, and walking in obedience and holiness with him, whatever that looks like. Let me, let me read a, a short piece that will illustrate what I'm talking about. This is when Charles Finney, uh, many years ago, was in Rome, New York, and in his ministry there, in his revival ministry, there was a wife of one of the men. She was a beautiful woman. She was considerably younger than her husband and was his second wife. And Finney was staying with this husband and wife while he was involved in this ministry. She had been, before Mr. Gilbert married her, under deep conviction for several weeks and had become almost deranged. She had the impression that she was not one of the elect and that there was no possibility of salvation for her, that she was hell-bound. Soon after the revival began, she was again powerfully convicted by the Spirit of the Lord. She was a woman of refinement, fond of dress. She wore some trifling ornaments, nothing, however, that I would have thought of as being any stumbling block in her way. Being her guest, I conversed repeatedly with her as her convictions increased, but it never occurred to me that her fondness for dress could stand in the way of her being converted to God. But as the work became more powerful, her distress became more alarming. Mr. Gilbert, knowing what had formerly occurred in her case, feared that she might fall into a state of depression in which she had been some years before. She asked me, that is, she asked Mr. Finney frequently what she should do. Almost every time I came into the house, she would come to me and beg me to pray for her and tell me that her distress was more than she could bear. I could see that she was depending too much on me, therefore, I began avoiding her. This went on until one day I came into the house and went into the study. As usual, in a few moments, she was before me, again begging me to pray for her and complaining that there was no salvation for her. I got up abruptly and I left without praying for her, saying to her that it was of no use for me to pray for her because she was depending on my prayers. When I did so, she sank down as if she had fainted. Nevertheless, I left her alone and went abruptly from the study to the parlor. 
After a few moments, she came rushing across the hall into the parlor. Her face was all aglow, exclaiming, Mr. Finney, I have found Jesus. I have found the Savior. Don't you think it was the ornaments in my hair that stood in the way of my conversion? When I prayed, they would come up in my mind, and I would be tempted to give them up, but I thought they were trifles and that God did not care about such trifles. But the ornaments that I wore continually came up in my mind whenever I attempted to give my heart to God. When you abruptly left me, I was driven to desperation. I cast myself down, and these ornaments came up before me again. I said, I will not have these things come up again. I will put them away from me forever. So I renounced them. As soon as I promised to give them up, the Lord revealed himself to my soul. Charles Finney, in a revival. Now we have today... In our lives, so many trifles, so many ornaments, so many social media things, so many cell phone conversations. We have so many entertainments. We have so many obligations to go to work. We have so many things pressing on us that seem so urgent. We have no time for Jesus. And so you begin to get serious about Jesus. But then you have to quickly run away to take care of one of your obligations. And then that sense of of desperate need with Jesus dissipates and goes away. And we say, well, I'll deal with it another day. And so literally the gospel of Jesus hardens our heart. It's possible for this radio broadcast to be very harmful to you. Because as you listen and you enter into a place of conviction, and then you busily go about your day, you go back to your work, you go back to your entertainment, you go back to your obligations, and then the whole sense of of conviction in your heart, dissipates, goes away. And this broadcast then was extremely harmful for you because as you do that time after time, your heart becomes more and more hardened to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then for a pastor to come and say, Jesus loves you. We're going to have a great revival and everything is going to be wonderful and we're going to go to heaven soon with no word of rebuke for the worldliness of America, no arrow of conviction from the Holy Spirit to our heart. And that message just feeds us sugar and gives us a sugar high and stirs our excitement like sugar, quickens you, and then you crash. I can't come and preach that kind of sermon for you. 
I don't apologize. I simply tell you straight up, the gospel of Jesus Christ will harden your heart and cause you to go to hell. If you do not respond to that preaching of the gospel with an earnest time with Jesus, where you deal honestly with your heart before him, where you do not slide into the dissipation, the homogenization of our age, if you do not begin to separate your heart and humble your heart before God's mighty hand, the gospel of Jesus will actually do you great harm. I read in First Peter, Therefore Christ suffered in his body, Arm yourselves with the same attitude because he who has suffered in his body is done with sin. Well, what is he saying? There is a way to arm ourselves for the gospel of Jesus Christ, and that is by willingly entering into the suffering that it takes to be crucified with Jesus Christ. Jesus suffered in his body by refusing the overtures of the devil and by paying the price of obeying the word of God to his heart, even to the cross. And it was in that suffering in his body that he was armed against the devil because he was utterly given over to Jesus. Now, I love Snickers candy bars. I love chocolate candies. I love Reese's Pieces. I come to the Lord and recognize that that stands between me and Jesus because he has said to me, leave the sugar alone. Leave the sugar alone. It is suffering to deny our flesh. It is suffering to not give ourselves into the hand of the devil. He says, Christ suffered in his body. Arm yourselves also with the same attitude because he who has suffered in his body is done with sin. In other words, once you have felt the bite of the devil, once you have seen the destructiveness of the American way of life, of giving yourself over to the shallow entertainment of our day, once you've been on YouTube and recognized the inane shallowness of that wicked 
that wicked platform. I had to leave Facebook because I found it to be utterly wicked. It was the total homogenization of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I had to leave it. Verse 2, as a result, he does not live the rest of his earthly life for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. If you're going to be serious about being ready for Jesus to come, then you're going to have to stop catering to your evil human desires, whatever they are. And in just a moment, I'm going to talk about what some of those things are. But rather, we must make a very clear decision in our heart that I am here to serve the living God of heaven in my work, in my recreation, in everything that I do, I do unto Jesus. Now he goes on. For you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, that is, living in lewdness, dirty jokes, pornography, every unclean thing. That's what the pagans choose to do. He's saying, you've spent time enough doing those things. Lust, that is, giving way to every desire of your heart. Drunkenness. Drugging. Orgies. Orgies literally mean party time. It's not necessarily sexual orgies. It's just party time where where it's wine, women, and song, where it's shouting and yelling and carrying on. Party time. Carousing. Literally banqueting where you're going to be with a group of people simply because of the wonderful food and the laughter and the music. And detestable idolatry. Detestable idolatry. That is, worshiping false gods. giving yourselves to false gods. Detestable idolatry. Where you make things the very center of your heart. And the greatest idolatry of all we spoke of last week, which is self-worship. Self-worship. 
And I urge, as I share these things with you, don't do your quick comebacks. Don't do your defense. Let the Holy Spirit speak to your heart and do what the Holy Spirit directs you to do. Verse 4, they think it strange that you do not plunge with them into the same flood of dissipation. That is, they think it's strange that you don't jump with them into what will drain away your vital energies, what will waste your time and your money, like going to the casino or going to the strip club or going to the big party. You don't want to do it as a follower of Jesus. And they think you're strange because you don't want to do these things. You have turned against it. It says, they think it's strange that you do not plunge with them into the same flood of dissipation and they heap abuse on you. Can I tell you, most of the abuse that I've had heaped on me has not been from pagans. It's been from people who call themselves Christians, who want to counter, who want to second guess, who want to judge, who want to criticize, who want to accuse. But they will have to give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is the reason the gospel was preached even to those who are now dead so that they might be judged according to men in regard to the body, but live according to God in regard to the spirit. The end of all things is near. This is what Peter says. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you can pray. All of these things... Facebook, party time, many entertainments will cause you to be unable to reach the throne of God. They will cause you to be unable to honestly and seriously pray. And Peter is saying, look, we're coming to the end. Be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you can pray. There will be no revival without desperate prayer. And desperate prayer is totally impossible for those homogenized by the entertainment of our day. It's impossible. Instead, that Christian will be lukewarm. And they will love to hear nice, positive things. But they will not be able to honestly pray. They can pray theology. They can educate God about the theology that they believe. 
They can pray and educate everybody around them and let everybody know how erudite they are and, and how well they understand everything. But there's no humbleness of heart. There's no brokenness of spirit. They are not self-controlled. And they cannot pray. Above all, love each other deeply, fervently, because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each one should use whatever gift he has to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in all of its various forms. If anyone speaks, he should do so as one speaking the very words of God. If anyone serves, he should do it with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. I hope you hear my heart today. We're always going to have those Pharisees who come in their self-righteousness and their judgments and their accusations. I understand that. That's part of what I have to deal with on this radio broadcast. But I want to be very straight with you and very honest with you. Jesus is coming. And we're all going to stand before that judgment seat of Christ. And each of us will face the question of how have we, how have we loved one another? How have we used our gifts to serve one another? Or have we been homogenized with the world, the flesh and the devil? And are we unable to truly pray? I've never found a self-righteous person who's able to pray. Oh, they can say words, but they can't pray. They're always in the mode of correcting everyone. So I come to you today humbly, saying clearly, we must set apart Christ as Lord in our hearts. We must recognize that we must turn away from debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, idolatry. We must turn aside from these things. So I come saying very plainly to you, when you pray earnestly and honestly, what is it that comes up in your heart between you and Jesus? 
that is the thing that must first be dealt with by you and by me. Until finally nothing rises up in our hearts anymore. And we acknowledge that Jesus is Lord and our life reflects the humility and the love and the gentleness of our Lord Jesus. I'm very concerned about not giving any sugar to you, but simply the straight word of God. Let's pray together. Lord, I recognize the brokenness of my own heart. I recognize that all sin will be dealt with at the judgment bar of Almighty God. I recognize, O Jesus, King of all the earth, that you alone are Lord. And I come saying, Lord, Would you destroy the homogenization of our hearts and our lives? Will you destroy our pride, our judgments, our accusations, our self-righteousness? Would you come and do a mighty work of revival? in the heart of every person listening to this broadcast. I know, Lord, that it's not by might and it's not by power. It's by your spirit. And I come, Lord, pleading your mercy for each of us for each one who's listened to this broadcast today. That you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear. That your glory could shine forth. Lord, please come. Thank you, mighty God. There's one last word I want to share with you. It's found in Isaiah 50. I'm going to begin reading in verse 10. Who among you fears the Lord and obeys the word of his servant? That is, the Lord Jesus. Who of you who fears Lord Jesus and obeys his word to your heart?
Let him who walks in the dark, who has no light, trust in the name of the Lord and rely on his God. So part of what I'm doing as I come day by day to this broadcast, I just, I don't know how to preach that will, in a way that will bring revival. So what I have said is, Lord, I will obey your word. I will walk with you. I will trust in your name. And I will rely on you. I will rely on the Lord. See, the temptation is to go out and try to do something for myself. To create something for myself. It says, but now all you who light fires and provide yourselves with flaming torches, go walk in the light of your fires and of the torches you've set ablaze. And this is what you shall receive from my hand. You will lie down in torment. So I've, I've come to a very clear understanding of this passage of Scripture over the years. The Lord has told me very specifically to wait upon him and to rest in him. And by the way, we have a horrific lightning thunderstorm coming and it may take us off air. And if it does, you'll understand why. This passage of scripture is so clear to my heart because it says, even if I don't know how to preach or what to say, simply trust in the name of the Lord. If you don't know how to walk as a Christian, trust in the name of the Lord. If you don't know what you're supposed to do, trust in the name of the Lord. Rely on your God. Don't go light your own fire. What's it mean? It means don't go find your own way. Don't go find your own way. Go find, go find the will of the Lord. Go find the way of the Lord. Don't turn on your own lights and find your own way in the darkness. Trust in the name of the Lord. So part of what I want to say in conclusion today as we've spent this time together. None of us in America are very clear about 
how to move forward toward revival. I know the key answer is repent. I know the key answer is to pray. I know the key answer is to humble my heart before Almighty God and to wait upon the Lord. And I ask, please, would you pray for me as I do that day by day? And I, too, will pray for you. And we must decide that we will be on our faces before God. Alex just put up a note that I in full agreement with. He said, I know the Bible says we will stand before God. But I'll be on my face. I'll be on my face with you, Alex. We must come to a place of utter, absolute obedience and humility. None of us know how to lead America out of this awful, horrific, wicked mess we are in. And I don't know how to do it either. I don't know how to preach in a way that will bring revival. But I'm relying on God. I'm relying on his promises. And I'm not going to go out and make my own way and find some way to try to engineer something for God. I'm going to wait on him. Hidden away, unknown. I'm going to wait on the Lord. And I'm going to trust in the name of the Lord. Lord, thank you for this time we've shared. And Lord, I just come and humble my heart with my brothers and sisters. And we say, Jesus, would you have mercy upon us? We've turned away from our sin. Or we are turning away from our sin. And we are seeking your face. And we are earnestly asking that you would bring a great move of your spirit in this land and establish a standard of righteousness and holiness. Lord, thank you. I bless your holy name. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Well, I'd love to hear from you. You can write to me at National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. That's National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia. You can also go to our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com, nationalprayerchapel.com. You're welcome to come 
and worship with the National Prayer Chapel. We're a small home fellowship, but we're serious about Jesus. If you'd like to come, just go to the webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com, and there you'll find our location. We meet at 10 every Sunday morning. You're welcome to come if the Holy Spirit calls you. I really treasure this time with you. Thank you for being here. Thank you for giving and supporting this ministry. Lord, come and deal with our hearts. God bless you. I'll talk with you soon. Oh